I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You are listening to Missed Apex iRacing Podcast. Let's get faster. Welcome to Missed Apex iRacing Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. And if I sound different today, it's because I'm a little unwell. It's a flu. We've had a negative COVID test, but I'm still being very, very brave. But I don't need to be brave by myself because I'm joined today by Matt Two Rumpets. Hello, Matt. Hey there, Spanners. I hope you're starting to feel better at least, but not necessarily letting your wife know. So you have to do all those extra chores again. She's really sick as well. We've just put the children to work. They're bringing us cups of tea, cheese platters. It's great. Now you've got it figured out. Speaking of children, we've got the... Oh, he's not even that young anymore. Chris Stevens. Chris, we've been podcasting together for so long, you've become not young. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and in that time, I think this is like the fifth different show that I've been on with you as well. In, in various missed apex formats well the thing with being a, a freelance presenter and podcaster is you throw a lot of pod- projects at the wall um, matt can probably double that number of podcast projects he's done with me yeah easily we give it a go we see what works and this show seems to be working and we're joined by an expert this week uh on on his first collaboration with me uh it's dory from the youtube channel uh dory how's it going mate hey all. what's your doing? what's your youtube channel called um dorian 12 that's my name without the a and the number 12 it's not very snappy is it dorian 12 it's not it's not it, it makes you sound like a replicant like you're the 11th copy of dorian funny enough if you look it up you, you find bollywood channels i don't know why right okay just... <laughs> uh, but your channel very much not uh a bollywood channel it is uh, a great place to actually get track guides we had stuffy on last week I would say that he's he and you, you're probably bitter F3 tutorial rivals, aren't you? <laughs> well, I have checked out his channel a few times. Yeah, he's definitely he's doing great guides. And uh, yeah, he's, he has very interesting content. You're probably faster, though. What do you think? Uh, maybe. I think so. <laughs> I mean, looking at the guides, I think my pace is just a little bit faster. But I think I play a lot more than him, too. Play? You mean race, surely? It's a video game. Oh, Get over it. that really hurts. I'm going to... Shots fired. Shots fired. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Derek, De- I'm speaking to the editor. Derek, can we well, can get rid of that bit, right? We can get rid of that. No worries. Uh, but you, you're heavily into the F3 as well. We'll start on that because we're building up to the Mist Apex round two on Friday. And we've matched ours up to the Nürburgring uh, because that's the official race on the F3 calendar. A few 
differences, though, because we have found a fudge uh, for the missed Apex sessions where if you include a, uh, a different car that does not yet have the new damage model, it forces the old damage model onto the F3. So we had to find a... Do you remember when we didn't want the commentators to pay for the F3, so we would put a free car that you could select, and then a bunch of the competitors would join our session and accidentally pick, like, the street stock. So you'd have your F3 race, and there's a guy, like, lined up with the street stock. So we're like, ah, how do we avoid that? So we tried to find um, a car that we thought no one would have, and we found, like, an old Nissan GT car. So that might have solved our problem. It gives us the old damage model. But, Dorian, the difference driving and practicing with that old damage model was just night and day. You know, you could have a bit of wheel-to-wheel action, a bit of contact, and the suspension didn't just crumble. Yeah, well, uh, as far as I know, there's been a hot fix on uh, Friday, maybe. It, and it's, is it still bad? It's still bad. Yeah, it was still bad. We were testing it out on, on Monday night, Matt. And uh, like we were, it was quite fun because we were deliberately trying to run into each other in, a, into, in some subtle ways. And it's that glancing wheel-to-wheel contact, just snapping the suspension. And you can't even get back to the pits because you're just, you're just broken. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah so basically... Uh, the the way the damage model works right now is you, it's like it's all Legos. It just disconnects from the car immediately, and it's very frustrating. I think uh, the best way to avoid that is just you know give extra room right now. There's nothing you can do until they fix that. Yeah, well, I had an incident at Long Beach where like right after the roundabout, everyone came to a complete stop, but there was a car behind me, so I couldn't reverse. So I very gently. Went, tried to go around, but there wasn't room. And my front wheel at about one mile an hour touched the front wing and just fell off. So, like, I don't know exactly how they calculated it, but I think someone needs to check some <laughs> decimal points. You know what I mean? So the question I would have here is, what are they, you know, what, is, what are they trying to achieve? So I'll, I'll get my whinge out of the way. I did two races at Nürburgring. Amazing car track combo. Just total wish fulfillment driving around that in VR, but at, I don't know, one of the penultimate right-hand turns before the back straight, you just need to dab the brakes a little bit, don't you, just to get it turned in, just to get yourself pointed at the back straight. And I didn't do that. I tried to lift and go around, so I end up going off. And as so often happens in iRacing, when you go off a little bit, the cars behind just follow you. (laughs) So I went off the track, tried to lift a little bit, Chris, because I thought, I'm not going to be a menace. I don't want to get in anyone's way. I'm just going to lift and get back on when there's a gap. Of course, the car behind just came in and just dinked me. And the animation, from my point of view, it looked like he mounted me and then my <laughs> suspension broke. Uh, and that you just go, oh, well, OK, I can't. I'm so close to the pits, but I can't drive there because it's completely broke. Two minutes towing and then four minutes of, of sitting there waiting for repairs. And I did finish the session, but I just wonder what they're trying to achieve. Are they ultimate realism? Is that what we're going for? Well, I think given the lengths that iRacing goes to to create realism in the other areas of the product, that's got to be the ultimate end goal. I think they've just overstepped the mark ever so slightly, probably in a bid to try and tidy up the, you know, the, the racing a little bit, because it's no secret Formula 3 is easily the most crashy and dangerous uh, series on, on iRacing at the moment. And I think this this new damage model is actually at risk of putting a lot of people off of F3, which is a shame because yeah. the car is fantastic and the competition is generally amazing. That frustration starts to, to creep in, though, when there's only two races that you can do in an evening after a working day and the kids have gone to bed. One of those is over on lap three because of a small contact. 
So you can't give me the same jeopardy as real life racing if nobody else is respecting the risk reward because I can drive as carefully as I want and they're still going to be out there, uh, Matt, those, you know, win or bin guys. Yeah, but I would argue, having watched F3 races and F2 races and Formula One races, that, that, they, that they haven't gotten it right. And that's the real issue. The suspensions are weaker than they would be in real life. Yeah, well, I don't know. I just, uh, it's not, it gets to a point when it's not fun anymore. And like, you've got to give me something to keep me playing. That's all. I, I do feel that. I think putting Long Beach on the calendar was maybe a bit of a mistake because especially so early on as well, where you tend to get new people who are, it's like opening up the season with Laguna as well. The first race usually has the biggest grids because it's people trying out something new for the first time and you go and land them in one of the hardest yeah. tracks on the calendar. But Laguna, say, uh, uh, Long Beach yeah. was a whole nother level compared to, I thought Laguna was the biggest challenge. And now having tried to do Long Beach, I will never complain about having to drive at Laguna Seca ever again. As much as I love it, it's just really, really difficult. And I ended up kind of throwing in the towel on Long Beach because I couldn't do three consecutive laps without binning it. On principle, Chris, I really I agree with you. But um, in terms of results, I have to say that the street circuits, the ones that are... I guess considered the most dangerous, like Detroit and like uh, Long Beach, yeah. are actually the ones I do the best on because people tend to be a little more conservative, even even though there's still it can be uh, you know can be a crap show, but uh, still I, th- I think those are the ones where you're most most likely to succeed if you're good at traffic and management and you know accident avoidance. I would call it. Mm. Well, see for me. Driving on a street circuit requires precision, and I'm not a good enough <laughs> driver to do precision lap that's after fair. lap for half an hour, really. Well, that's fair. I mean, uh, most people aren't. Uh, I tend to crash into walls like, uh, myself a lot, but uh, after some practice, and if you, if you just get, can get like a decent qualifying time, the problem was last week, the biggest problem was p- people couldn't start from the pits. A lot of people start, wanted to start from pits, but there was a bug. You couldn't start the race altogether. And that was, I think, the biggest issue. Because I think if, if that wasn't a thing, then maybe you'd have seen 10, 15 people start from pits every race. Honestly, my biggest issue in officials is trying to qualify well. I did four races at Monza at the end of last season. And I knew that in the first three, I under-delivered in qualifying. And I should have been on the front row. And it ruined all of my races. And when I finally qualified on the front row... I was actually able to compete for the win. Yeah, let, let's talk about qualifying, actually. I wanted to talk about this a, a few shows back. Matt? Well, it, you, you were reading my mind here because I wanted to ask, you know, Chris uh, casually mentions, oh, I should have qualified on the front row, but I didn't. <laughs> I'm not someone who, yeah. in the splits I find myself am ever going to qualify in the front row. I might occasionally make the top 10 if the split works out right and I'm low enough. But generally speaking, even if I give it my best shot, I'm somewhere between 10th and 17th. And so at that point, do you think I'm just better off not qualifying and starting at the back, trying to avoid the carnage? Absolutely, 100%. I think the worst position you can put yourself in with such a sensitive car is in the middle of the pack. You want to be either at the far end of the field, like either in the back or in the front. And top tip for qualifying, if anyone's struggling out there, listeners and you guys, uh, the car is, really enjoys a lot more downforce under qualifying. So if you take the qualifying setup and the downforce or the, the wing angles are similar, 
to the ones you have in the race setup, just add a few clicks because it will help you build up tire temperatures faster. R- r- ah, okay. So there's a couple of different things here. Firstly, that makes sense. Okay, because we, we need tire temperature. That's one of the biggest factors on the rock hard tires. There's like virtually nowhere on the F3 car um, tires, and you only find that out if you do a full in lap and go back to the pits and pit properly. And no one ever bothers. I never bother. I did it like for one of the first times yesterday, and it was still like 97% after 16 laps. I was like, oh, wow. So all those times that I thought the tyres were going away, they really weren't. I was just overheating them and, and losing grip. So there's a lesson there not to panic. If you if you feel like it's gotten slidey, you can probably get that back by not overworking the tyres. 100%. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's definitely about uh, qualifying right now uh, with the F3 is about tweaking the setup specifically for qualifying and practicing for qualifying as well. So I might spend a good hour practicing before a race, but I would say at least 20, 25 minutes of that will be just straight up going out three laps and coming back in. Matt? Yeah, well, I wanted to ask, you mentioned adding downforce to the setup for qualifying to help get the tires more into the window. Have you ever, um, have you ever tried changing the tire pressures to get a similar effect? I have, but unless you have specific knowledge that's related to suspension geometry and you know exactly what you're doing, which I'm not, it's not going to work. You need to know exactly what to do to make it work. So the moment you uh, reduce or increase tire pressure, in fact, for qualifying, the logical thing will be, all right, I'll put a few clicks extra, but the car will be taller, the suspension geometry will be different, and it will behave very differently as well. So you have to know how to adjust it. I don't, so I just tweak the downforce a little bit. I love that. So we're going to add a little bit more downforce. And does that mean, right, this confused me when I tried to change the downforce on a setup. You can change the front flap by like whatever, one degree. And then at the back, you've got two flaps to play with. So how do you decide which of the two flaps to adjust? Uh, trial and error, basically. Does it make uh, a difference? No uh, it, it it does because one of them, uh, the bottom one, as far as I remember, bottom one doesn't make as much of an impact. Uh, uh, it, it it mainly increases it increases drag, but doesn't change the balance all that much. So maybe you can treat that as a micro correction. So if you if you want to keep the balance, the arrow balance the same, and you and you give it one click in the front, one click in the back, and the the arrow balance is a little different, you can use the bottom option to click it up a little bit and change it. So if I've if I've increased my downforce at the front and the back, and then I f- I, f- I find that that makes it a little more pointy, and I don't want it to be more pointy, then I can use the lower one again to try and give me some extra rear downforce to adjust up. That's really yes. really handy information. But the reason we're doing that is to warm the tires up. Does this whole thing? What's this thing of holding the brakes on the outlap? Does that actually work to get tire temp? It does work, but I don't like it i don't like how the car feels after i do it it becomes unpredictable maybe because i'm not used to it because i don't do it a lot but it, it does warm up specifically the front tires uh, a bit more but the car does get really pointy so it's kind of tricky pretty dangerous on a on the first lap so so would that be because most race cars tend to have a front uh, brake bias uh... so when you are using the brakes more of the heat is coming through the disc and into the tire on the front compared to the rear so your rears are colder so you just do donuts to compensate just light the rears up <laughs> i don't know why you're making this complicated matt <laughs> well, i had wanted to ask with regard to braking uh, so chris you're suggesting that maybe you could address uh, adjust the brake balance 
to help with that. Ooh, so on the outlap, wreck your brake balance down to the back. And then Maybe, just... uh, you, you can just put your right foot down and create some wheel spin, which should get uh, the tires surface temperature at least yeah i really like this idea of um the high downforce and also it means you can just get a bit a bit larrier and probably just drive a bit more aggressively as well mm-hmm. so here's here's my problem got matt you go first and I'll, I'll say why i think i struggle in quality okay well i had sort of just a related break question but maybe we should talk about it later. okay it's about adjusting the joy collib file yeah that doesn't sound fun unless you're going to make a case that it it is well, just as someone who has really struggled to get the brakes to work the way I want them to, I feel like I, I have found some success with it. And I just was curious to get Dory's opinion and, and experience if he's actually done anything like that. Well, I'm not sure about changing the Joy Calib file. It's not something I've experimented with. I'm not sure what the issue is. If you want to tell me a little bit more where you're struggling, I might be able to help. Okay, cool. Well, that sounds like something we can do offline and come back with a bit more research on. Okay. Okay, awesome. good. Mainly because it doesn't sound interesting at all. Just like joy, <laughs> joypad ad- adjustments. Uh, but it, you can make the case that it is. Uh, just sticking with quality for a second, uh, there was a conversation I had with some people where I was running practice laps of Spa for the last round of the Missed Apex Championship, and I was I found that my optimal and and I'd been running the same setup in the same conditions, and my, I I couldn't get near my optimal, and I was surprised, and I was like, because normally I'm within I'm not a fast guy, but normally I'm within like two tenths of my optimal, and I can get there, and I was like, oh, I'm I'm six tenths away, I can't get near my optimal, and a load of other people were going, yeah, that seems normal. And there's a lot of people out there who never get close to their optimal. And I, and I think it's because when I set out to, to try and survive a race, I practice doing the same lap. You know, so I find a lap I can do, whereas I think some people are looking for the ultimate lap. And so they won't nail that ultimate corner every single time, corner after corner. So they've got this high alt, optimal, Chris. Is, is any of that making sense? I think my, 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 my uh, focus is too much on I want to survive the race distance. Yeah, uh, and totally makes sense. I think why most people don't reach their optimal is because they're trying out various different setups that work in better areas. So therefore your optimal ends up becoming completely unrepresentative Mm -hmm. of what you can actually achieve in a single lap. And also because at some point you're going to make a mistake and run deep into a braking zone that just happens to be on a timing loop. So you gain like half a second by completely missing a braking zone, which you're obviously not going to do on your qualifying lap. Um, in your case of suddenly being six tenths off of your yeah. um, your optimal, I don't know if maybe the track conditions were falling away it or because you in the short space of time you were qualifying, you couldn't get up to, couldn't get yeah, the Yeah, so th- this wasn't in qualifying. This was just in the, in the main practice session. But the oh. reason it's relevant to qualifying, Dory, is I think I don't practice that, ultimate completely just on the raggedy edge lap and therefore when it comes to qualifying there's zero chance i'm going to end up with you know the magic lap um first of all are you comparing versus your session best lap or all-time best no lap? no always session best always session best session yeah. best and yeah. n- never optimal yes yeah, right? so, yes yeah, so, no 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 abuse. yeah so, so, so normally <laughs> normally i get pretty close to my optimal because i'm just doing consistent corporate dad laps and it was just on that one occasion uh, that I couldn't get okay. close to it, but everyone else was going, oh, no, we never get close to our optimal. Right. That could be down to a couple of things. One, uh, uh, invisible floor damage that may occasionally occur if yeah. you're, you're a bit too aggressive on the curbs. The second is the change in wind direction. That could be a huge thing in iRacing. 
people don't tend to pay it much uh, you know much interest but the wind hmm. direction if you're going on a long straight and the, the wind changes direction or becomes suddenly much stronger it can change it dramatically i have never once looked at the wind direction no one does, no one does. So, same so how can i monitor that during a session if i'm if i'm doing uh let's say like an imsa race for example is 45 minutes long and the wind direction changes halfway through that how can i know that and then know how to adjust my driving in a race session you can't but it's a great oh. excuse if you're not able to do that so you Brilliant. can always blame it on the wind <laughs> so we're, we're, uh, we're screwed basically in so, a test session if you're just if you're able to go back to the pits and you know just check out the wind direction and humidity and see if that's changed to any direction then that could give you a good indication even if the temperature hasn't changed what has gone wrong or what is different so i love that we're getting sort of these specific tips but I, can i just ask the general question because you had said that you go out and you practice specifically for quality. And as far as I'm thinking, that means, okay, I go out and I just run two hot laps and I come back in. But are there other things you do when you practice for qualifying that help you get faster than you would be if you were setting your race laps? I don't think so. I think the car is the way the car is set up right now, uh, the way it's balanced, it's faster in a race than it is in qualifying. If you can do, let's say I'm just, throwing a number out there, a 113 flat and qualifying, chances are you'll, in your best race up, you'll be doing a 112.7 because the way the fuel is reduced while the tires are, are heating up, because it's, no, it's still not at optimal uh, pressure and heat after the third lap in qualifying. So it takes longer for the tires to build up and the tire wear is extremely low. So the tires don't really burn out. So the car remains fast throughout the race. I don't know about you guys, but I do treat uh, like an outlap in qualifying. So when I go out there, I'm I'm weaving to get some surface temperature and pumping pumping the brake pedal, mm. trying to wheel spin it if I can, but usually to to no avail. Uh, I don't know if you guys do something similar. No, I just I... yeah, I just go for it. I just go for an outlap, and I, I've given up. But I'm going to try now. We've been talking about it, but I do just do just tend to go out. And my thinking is, if I take all the corners correctly on my outlap, I've just got the mentality. Of of racing. If I weave around and then try and start, I just end up flying off. I try and like generate understeer Fernando Alonso style as well, just to get some front temperature as well. So when we're at the Nurburgring this weekend, I go around the hairpin and just chuck the steering lock on. Well, as far as I know, the best thing you can do is drive at ninety ninety five percent right off the bat. Oh, okay. So just do your normal race lines, normal braking points. Be a little bit easier, obviously, because the car is cold. But try to get the best run you can, the best, the cleanest lap you can without scrubbing the tires off. So don't get into big slides, don't lock up, and you know, drive at your around, let's say, 90% and stay that for the entire outlap. That will give you the most uh, predictable car. Yeah. And uh, like Spanner said, uh, just get your mind in the groove, get yourself in the zone of taking the right braking points and right entry points and all that. So I've been going about this all wrong. Not necessarily. I'm sure there's other ways it could work, but uh, okay. that's what I do. And uh, I think okay. fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, we'll move on from quality in a bit. But just earlier when I was talking about um, the not getting near my optimal lap, I wasn't actually stating that that was the problem. I was wondering whether the problem is that for a slow racer, I stay too close to my optimal lap. And therefore, that means I need to go a little bit more kind of I need to be a bit more risky to, to be able to get quality laps in. I think being closer to your optimal is always the goal. 
being as close to optimal is always the goal. So if you're close, don't think you're doing something wrong. I don't think that's okay. A, or it could just be that my optimal way. is so rubbish that I easily get close to it, <laughs> lap up to lap. That that was my that was my worry. Yes. Yeah, so certainly lots to think about there in qualifying, and I need to put as much attention I think into my qualifying setup as I do to which race setup I'm going to do as well. And like you say, dedicate some time to uh, to doing those quali runs. I then just wa- I worry that I'm going to get into the race with a heavy tank very cold tires and it's just going to feel like a different beast and that I won't be able to adapt to that mindset that is all always my worry dory right well uh that's that's why you make sure the best way to practice for a race in my opinion you need around 35 to 40 minutes where in that 30 minutes or 40 minutes you would almost finish a tank of fuel just don't worry about lap times just finish a tank of fuel on the track mm. and in your last 10 minutes go on qualifying runs that's the, that's about so you're already used to the car's weight and you've got that qualifying time right there and you're good nice all right i've got a question from a listener from a mike stoner who asks a good question because uh, it relates to content and he says how do you guys where are we i've lost it now i'll find it again two seconds here we go ask them how they decide to buy new content i'm sure most of us have bought cars and tracks that we really want but then rarely use now this is why i didn't buy long beach i have to say not in love with the iRacing pricing not in love with things like here's a new track and now suddenly it's race two on the f3 calendar and i was like ah that's how they get you so i I just skipped it because it sounded like it was going to be carnage it sounded like it was going to be a nightmare um nurburgring and not nurburgring hockenheim is one that if it appears on a calendar i i will buy that but for me, the, the content I buy is, is normally on deep necessity. Like I avoided buying any content for the first two years of iRacing. MX5s tried to like master that and just go up there because I didn't want to be sitting and paying 10 quid a car or whatever it is. So for me to answer Mike Stoner's question is I tend to go for the tracks that are in F1 because I'm a big F1 fan. So that's a no-brainer. I want to experience the F3 in all the the glorious F1 tracks that I know off telly. But do you have a policy there, Dory, with your content, or do you just go for it and buy everything? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you the try-hard perspective. The try-hard perspective is drive as many things as you can. That's going to improve you the most. Drive as many different cars as possible. That's what's going to keep you out there. So I'm, I'm constantly pushing myself outside my comfort zone. I freaking hate GT3s. And I forced myself to buy the M4 because I like the <laughs> classic layout. Yeah. And that really helped me. I'm now comfortable in GT3s. So I'm definitely a better driver. Same with tracks. I hate Sebring. I forced myself to drive Sebring. I'm a better driver for it. I had uh, the kind of the same as you, Span, as where I was just buying tracks I needed for like the mistakes specific X, events, like the yeah. series, so that I could commentate on them. Once you actually got me suckered in and started <laughs> racing for myself. Yeah. Because um, I, I have quite a broad motorsport uh, knowledge. Oh, that makes well, me sound no, arrogant. No, no, but, no, no. For, con- um, for context, you were uh, a Club 750 and Autosport Junior yeah. journalist. So that's why. So, I, yeah, I know all the you know big UK circuits. I'm a big fan of a lot of stuff in America and across Asia and, and, and Europe that you know, aren't on the F1 calendar. Some of the things you only find in like GT racing that kind of thing I, I love all that yeah and um so i wanted to get the gt side of things um as well 
And because I'm a big fan of Porsches, so I wanted to make sure I had uh, every Porsche, the GT4, the GT3 Cup, and the RSR. But do you, do you feel... The GT3 R isn't on there, but... Do you feel bad, though, when you've got cars that you've spent cash on and they sat there, get, uh, sat there unused? Because certainly I do. A little bit. Yeah. yeah if yeah, I see yeah. content, I go, oh, I bought that and I've hardly used it. I feel bad. Uh, just, just a quick kind of cultural point here, because we, we're quite culturally diverse on this panel. Chris, you're there going, oh, I don't want to make it sound like I'm brilliant. You know, we've got an American on the panel, half Filipino, like where boasting is, is frankly genetic. And you, you're allowed <laughs> to say, I'm dead great. I don't know if that translates in uh, Israeli, Dory. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we can be quite arrogant as well. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So that's, that's just a British thing, then, Chris. So look, you're in good company. Okay. You're allowed to say you're allowed to say how great you think you are. All right, good. Well, I reckon I could smash all of you at Holton Park uh, <laughs> next week. So I will buy. Yeah. So I will buy the tracks and the content out of out of necessity. Uh, there's very few where I've just impulse bought it because I want to try that thing. I was bullied into buying the F1 car. And I haven't tried it yet. A week and a half ago, I bought that as an impulse late night buy, and I haven't tried it yet. So Terrible I did the car. same. I did the same with the Lamborghini GT3, and I hate it. I think Aww. it's terrible. It's so hard to drive. So this was right when I um, was yeah, I was comfortable with iRacing. I like I want to try anything. I want to get into the endurance stuff. I was doing it with Matt. We had a race at Donington Park. And I'm like, right, well, the Lamborghini's you know new. So why don't we just you know go with that? and um could not get it it's so tail happy even the stable setup it wanted to kill you and i ended up bending it on the the first lap and i i thought i knew straight away that i either needed to switch to the audi or to the bmw or something a bit more and there's um, no, sensible no 14 day no 14 day cooling off period or anything is there so, uh, so I, a good rule of thumb in i racing is whenever a new car uh you know launches comes out uh, it's a good it's a good idea to wait on it a little bit. Even if you do buy it and you don't like it right off the bat, wait on it because it will be balanced. Uh, I, I felt exactly the same with the Huracan. And is it the Huracan? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. That's the car, right? The Lambo. Um, so yeah, it, it was terrible. Too snappy. Too much oversteer. I couldn't I couldn't get along with it. It is a bit better now. Quite a bit better, I'll have to say. But I did give give up and went with the M4, which is much more stable. A good example, you were talking about Porsches earlier, uh, the Cayman, the first season it came out, it was absolutely dreadful. It was a terrible car. Nowadays, it's probably one of the best cars in the game, the best, one of the most balanced cars in the game. So anyone who bought it back in, back in the day and was disappointed, I really recommend you give it another go. It's a different car altogether. What's your buying policy, Matt? Well, for the most part, I will buy a car um, if I'm racing it. So, for example, you talked about doing Sebring. I, I did Sebring as well, and I put down because I have, a, at this point, a fair collection of endurance cars. I'm like, yeah, just put me in any car. They wound up putting me in a car that I didn't actually own, so I had to go buy it. It was a Ferrari GTE. But having bought it, I actually really enjoyed driving it. I think the only car that I bought that I haven't raced yet well there's two of them one is the f1 car and i've done some practices but i just haven't cleared a hole in my schedule to try and do an actual race because the urge wasn't working well and so i just sort of gave up on it the other one would be the lotus 79 which i tried on testing and just love and i'll just go drive that for fun sometimes even though i don't race it because there's not that many official races one thing i always do is utilize the you know the multi-purchase discount um, so oh, I don't right. think I I've never ever bought just one thing. I always do it in threes. 
I went broke saving money. Um, <laughs> but what I will do before yeah. I buy something, uh, unless it's a brand new car that I immediately need, is I'll wait until I can test drive it when iRacing is down for maintenance to see if it's something that I actually like or not. Well, see, I never bother going around and like just trying something for for the sake of it. But I have to say, I don't do that. Um, but you, you, um, you said that F one was horrible, uh, Dory. Uh, Van Jean and Philpot on this show were just were singing its praises a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it has improved dramatically. A couple of seasons ago, they've made a few changes, and it's a better car. But I don't know. It, uh, I, I tried it a little bit, and I, I wasn't really getting along with it. Maybe it's because I have an issue with cars that have too many buttons on them. It's too complicated. Just right. Why, yeah, why isn't there? Just, um, yeah. Why isn't there an iRacing go kart track? Why, that's what we should have. So we should have some carts. Some there iCarts. is one. Is there? There's no, there's no carts there, but there is a go kart track. It's a Cuba One Thousand. You've got to do a multi-class there. <laughs> Sounds like it's chaos. It's, it's a huge fun. I, I feel like whether it's iRacing or Project Cars or Assetto Corsa, whatever, when they try to do Formula One, they never quite get it right. And that's because Formula One teams have a lot of secrets and they don't want people coming in and, you know, examining every little minute detail of their car, no matter how old it is. And so when you... Things like the Formula 3, you know, because it's a spec series, it works great. Delari just go, yeah, yeah, there you go, whatever. And all, you know, the customer GT cars, it works a a lot better because there's just a lot more freedom of of information between the people who make the product and the people wanting to put it in a a game. I don't need it to be exact. I just need it to give me an experience, isn't it? That's all you're looking for is you're looking for the racing experience. But I have to say, I am limited to the cars that I, like Matt said, to race. I've never bought one and gone, oh, I'll sit on my own and do a test session. I was just scrolling through my owned cars list. And I've actually been very stingy, so I've hardly got anything. I've got a handful of uh, IMSA cars, a couple, and Skip Barber, Formula Renault 2.0, F3, and F1. And that's about it. I have one that I like to drive but don't race, which is the uh, the US F2000, I think it's called. It's like the, the equivalent of um, US F4, um, which is just the most amazing thing to drive. It's so, so much fun. Uh, but I don't think I would uh, take the time to actually go and race it competitively when I've got F3 and IMSA. I'd say, like with the MX-5, I, I want to take the time to master what I'm doing. And I know Dory's going to say I should expand my horizons to make myself a better F3 driver as well. Uh, but I've not gone down that path at the moment. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I've got another question here from Sam. Sam asks, in sim racing, what's the one thing in sim racing that has taught you or shown you something that enhances your appreciation of what he calls full metal racing? And I guess he means uh, racing in real life. Uh, I've got I've got an answer to that. In the VR experience, when you like tap someone and then you start hurtling towards the wall and you genuinely feel a bit sick because it's, you know, you're in VR and you're getting spun around and you realize that the incident that you were in would easily have killed you because that takes you out of the sim where you go, oh, well, I would have died there. So that's not that realistic. And then you go, you go my goodness, th- these the risk reward that you're taking in a sim that you're trying to take seriously, that you feel like is real whilst you're in the moment, then something like that happens and you go... It's just like a little breathtaking moment of, damn, real real motorsport is like dangerous as hell. Uh, Dory, what, what's made you, has it taught you anything or made you appreciate anything about real world racing? Absolutely. I think the, the most uh, uh, thing, the, the, the thing I value the most is being able to go side by side in high speed corners. Once I've started doing that in Gran Turismo Sport back in the day. Yeah, easy. And <laughs> I, 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 yeah. And I started watching races, like I started watching IMSA and stuff like that, GT3 races, and they would go through the same corners. And, and, and at the time, it, it was incredibly difficult for me. And I'm looking at them, and holy crap, they're doing it in real life. How are they able to? You need so much courage. It's unbelievable how much courage you need to be, just be an inch from someone doing 150 miles an hour. Well, I think you can get used to watching the very best drivers in the world, plus a couple of those um, those billionaire kids as well, when you're watching F1. <laughs> and you watch Mark Webber and Fernando Alonso going through Eau Rouge side by side, and you kind of just take that for granted. And, and I know people people criticise me because I, I deliberately talk about my sim racing as if I, I definitely understand real racing now because I do a bit of sim racing. But it does give you an appreciation of of just what it's like to go wheel to wheel. You know, if you're watching football... And then at the weekend, you're playing 11 aside or even five aside leagues. You get an appreciation of how difficult it is to just control a ball that's coming to you. You get an appreciation of getting rid of the ball, of passing, of making plays, of moving triangles. And that's why we say on Missed Apex, you don't have to get a huge sim rig. Just do any form of turning a wheel. Go do a go-kart, go remote control cars, do bumper cars, do anything just to give you that racing competitive spirit. Because as Dory says, Chris, it, you watch it on track and you kind of go, oh, yeah, no, that is like a fully hard thing to do now. I can appreciate how hard that is. Yeah, for me, it's definitely, you know, judging a racing situation. So where is the other car? How late am I going to break? I've got a slipstream. I need to account an extra five to ten meters in my braking. How much gap do I need to leave for the other car? Is he going to understeer into me? Can I undercut him? All these, you're going through about 50 different thoughts in half a second when you're racing wheel to wheel with someone. I think the other appreciation as well is, as we were talking about earlier, the changing conditions, how you, when you're looking at a racetrack and you're like, oh, well, nothing's changing. But for the 
driver it's evolving can, constantly it's yeah. constantly changing yeah. yeah just completely invisible to the naked eye so a couple of weeks ago we were talking about my mistake in our series behind uh, Garen, sorry again, Garen, mm. where, Dory, I was letting him through. I was on the Discord. I was going, you go on, go on. You're, you're going faster. I'm being a liability. So I decided just to tuck in behind him, lost braking in the aero wash, locked up and, and hit him in the rear. New damage model, completely killed his race. And then I'm watching Formula One and we see Ocon going past Sebastian Vettel. Lo and behold, he does exactly the same thing. But it was immediately recognisable to me what had happened to Vettel on the replay, you saw him go back in the wash, wheels lock up because suddenly he's lost that that downforce. So and that sort of ability to have retardation, and he just starts going into the back of him and snatching the brakes. And you go, I wouldn't have fully appreciated that had I not wiped out Garen in the sim. So I think you can get an appreciation, though. I don't think it's a hyperbole to say that it increases your understanding. One hundred percent. And the, one of the first thing you you want to learn when you're trying to improve your racecraft is the road to hell is paved with good intentions yeah <laughs> so being a bit too passive can hurt you maybe even more than yes. being a bit too aggressive i think me and matt suffer from that on lap one i think me and you are both a bit passive in the pack would you reckon Matt? oh yeah completely because all all i really so i i know a couple of things about the way i operate in races one of the reasons i like to do endurance races is because you're on track for an hour you know, you're on there for longer. And I know it takes me a couple of laps to get from where I start. Like, you know, your opening lap's always slow because it's start. But usually I won't even start to try and push till about the third lap because that's when I, I really find the groove and I can start to get close to the times that I want to run. I just don't even bother. I don't want to fight people. I'm like, go. Because I know if I'm faster, I'll catch you and pass you. Otherwise, then, then, you, then I've just saved myself losing multiple seconds fighting you when i was going to lose anyway but doing that it, do you find you get hit from behind a lot because well, uh, <laughs> no, I, I mean it, it but it is it, it puts you it puts you at risk sometimes when you're when you're you're trying to say to someone look i don't want to fight you here because you know my tires aren't warmed up and i know i can't make the corner at the breaking point that i eventually want to hit and they don't they don't recognize that it's very easy to have to have collisions and yeah i do i do get I do tend to get or hit you a get lot, swamped, although, or you get swamped, yeah. don't you? And it puts you under pressure. You're three wide when you could have been clear. So that's something I'm working yeah. on too, Chris. So I did my first reverse grid at start on Monday because uh, you guys were practicing for the Mist Apex series, mm -hmm. and I was there practicing for the swarm. So uh, we, that, we that's did the where we do grid. the officials, by the way, Dory. That's when we we swarm the officials yeah. with our shiny uniform. On, you still haven't invited me for that. Oh, I, I didn't. I'm sure I have. Come join us no, on you Thursday. Haven't. Thursday practice. Thursday night, 8 p.m. UK time. Feels bad. Feels I, bad. No, not good enough for you. You can come race with us if you want to. If you don't mind getting clattered by by me <laughs> and clattered by me from behind, and then drive up and hit Matt from from you know uh, as he's slowing down. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, go on, Chris. What are you said? Yeah. So I, starting in the pack in a reverse grid race is completely different to starting in the pack in a normal race, I find. Because you're suddenly very aware that the cars in front of you are slower than you, the cars behind you are quicker than you. And so it's this weird balance. I made so many accidental overtakes on the opening lap where I was just trying to keep my front wing clean. And just by even, I'm taking it cautiously, but not cautiously enough, apparently, because there's people suddenly slowing up in turn two and I dive up the inside and I, I managed to keep it clean. There was one moment that just, I was really annoyed with myself, 
which was in the second reverse start, first lap, going up towards the chicane. And the you know, there's a car just just to my right in front of me. And I I don't want I don't want to just dive bomb you into the chicane because that's a little too risky. So I just I, I break early. And then, oh, I haven't braked early enough relative to him because he's braking very early. So about halfway through the braking zone, I realize I have to brake harder. Otherwise, I'm going to have a tiny bit of my car alongside him and we're going to make contact. Mm. And of course, in doing so, I lock the rears and spin it around and suddenly I'm parked on the apex of the chicane and blocking Danny, poor guy. Oh, my God. So that whole story, you could have just said I stuffed it into turn one. No. Well, it, I wanted no. to go through the thought process. Man. <laughs> you know, what is the 50,000 thoughts I'm making? That are all really important. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, stuff it. So what we do is, Dory, we used to do a full reverse grid and it was absolute chaos because you you got the guys who, you know, they're here for the beer guys, which they're more than welcome in our t- competitions. But we realised it was incredibly unfair to, on a live broadcast, then suddenly just stick them up at the front and, and have like the top five just all like take each other out. So now we just do top 20. So we have quite a good battle for the top 20 to get onto the reverse grid. Uh, but it's not something that's done in the officials. Got any views on... Would you fancy a reverse grid? And I breathe? No. <laughs> it's messy <laughs> enough as it is. But in league races, uh, we yeah. do that in the Israeli iRacing League as well. I actually won Detroit that way. I started eighth and uh, worked my way up the field to finish in first place. And that was really rewarding. That was really fun. But, you know, it, it's uh, you have way less to lose. You don't care about iRating. These are all people you know. You can just say, sorry, there's not going to be a huge arg- argument. So it is worth it to do reverse grids. But in officials, I guess it depends on the splits. If it's really high off, like if it's a three, four, five, six case off, most people are in very similar pace. So doing like stint, like heat races, where you got one, two, let's say three heat, mm. and each time you reverse the top 10, that can really work in high soft. In lower soft, the, the gaps could be huge. So it might be a problem. Mm, I agree. It, it, we have lower strength of fields in general, but, and it is a problem. <laughs> but it's fun. It's great fun. And and what I find is if I if I can fluke a good, let's say, 20th and start on pole, my job is to survive long enough and hope to have enough pace that some of the good guys get caught up in the carnage behind and pick up a good result like that, Chris. Well, I love it in our championship. I think it works fantastically. We get the, you know, the big duke out between the top guys in, in the first race. And then we get to see what they're made of when they're trying to come through the pack. And we have seen some utterly brilliant grandstand finishes. You know, there was Henny at Silverstone passing two cars in in one move on the final lap. Uh, there was obviously the, the some really exciting stuff that happened at the first round at Spa a few weeks ago, uh, especially when the leaders are like getting into to traffic and stuff yeah. in the final corner. You don't know whether someone's going to make that last corner move i think it works fantastically and it's given me some proper stand up and jump moments in the com box as well all right listen guys uh 44 minutes in now last few minutes let's let's end on this question from mark who this is interesting because he's specifically aiming it at you two at chris and matt and he says i'm interested in the difference between chris who appears to have just rocked up and been super quick at iRacing i don't know how much effort he's actually done in the past um virtually none mark and compare that to Matt, who seems to put a lot of effort in. So that, there's, there's an interesting thing here, Dory, between natural effort, can you just be a natural racer who can come in and just seem to do it somehow, or more like Matt and me, actually, who just aren't naturally fast, but like just study it kind of analytically and just try to make up 
almost like corner by corner, meter by meter. Right, what am I doing here? What should I be doing differently here? And then other people like Chris, who we went to, a, where was that sim centre we went to a while back ago, Chris? Several oh, GTSRS. GTSRS. And neither of us had really done any sim racing. Uh, but you just rocked up and we're just suddenly on pace. And you just, I went, how's that happened? Because I've seen you in a go-kart and you can't do go-karting. Like, yeah. you, you should accidentally go faster in a go-kart just by chance alone than you're able to do, but yet you get into a sim car and you can and you can just rock up and do it. What, for, for, let's start with Dory. What, who, what's better? What would you prefer to be if you could choose between those two? I would definitely want to be the guy who picks up the the picks up pace as fast as possible. I'm not that guy. I I as as I've said, I occasionally like if, as we talked before uh, the podcast, I occasionally drive against real racing drivers, friends of mine, and you know they they need ten percent of the time to get to the same pace. Our walls are the same, so that means we will both hit the same wall. We'll be at the same pace, but it will take me hours more to get there. <laughs> yes. I, I have 10,000 race laps on iRacing. That's more than most. And that's, that's the only reason I got decent at, the, at this sim. I don't want to say game again, because you'll kill me. But, Thank you, Dari. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's the only reason I'm, I'm half decent. Uh, there's, I, I wasn't born with it. I just have more laps on my belt than most. That's the only reason. And I wish I, I could have saved that time and just be a lot faster, a lot sooner. <laughs> yeah, but Chris, whereas you, you've you not struggled at all in sim racing, you've just picked it up. And like like we said, in real world racing, you don't seem to have any feel for it at all. Mm. You lack physical awareness, strength, stamina, just any kind of ability at all. No, but no the reason I'm pointing out why you're so bad at karting and the other guys are looking at me like I'm being harsh, is to compliment you and say, you are so good at sim racing, it's surprising and annoying because I just assumed I would be better than you. And I'm not. Yeah, why why do you think that is that you could just jump in a sim? I think, um, well, I'm not the healthiest guy in the world. Um, <laughs> and that really doesn't help when you're bouncing over curbs and the whole thing's rattling like crazy. And the, the last yeah. time we went karting as well, they were brand new cuts. And so the steering wheels obviously brand new straight out of the factory. It didn't matter that I was wearing gloves. They tore my hands to shreds. And I just didn't like that. Oh, that was at Rye House. Um, I remember that. Lots yeah. of people had that. Do you, do you and, have that as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah completely. And um, I, th- I, th- I think there's a fundamental thing that I don't trust rental carts as well. Like I've had a few, not like, big crashes but i've had scary moments i've hurt myself in a go-kart and so i just kind of don't trust okay so so yeah go on i i think though that i racing a a gt3 car is going to be closer to racing a real gt3 car than going karting in in real life would be so i reckon if you if i did some laps in a gt4 car for example and then went and drove a real gt4 car i wouldn't i would Maybe somewhere in the middle. Not as bad as I am at karting, but somewhat. I could keep it on the track, I think. I have a question for Chris. Sorry, Matt. No, no, no go for it, man. Um, I'm just really curious because uh, I said you, you pick up pace very quickly in the sim. Do you have a lot of experience playing video games in general growing up? Yes. So this, I think, is the big difference between me and Matt. It's 100% a generational thing. I've grown up playing a load of video games from like an age where I was aware of what video games, you know, could, could be as soon as I was able to pick up a controller and move my thumbs around on a joystick, I was playing video games. So I do honestly think that's the major difference here. 
Yeah, theory proven. It's a video game, boys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, stop doing that. Right, don't do that because it's like my most competitive thing that I've been able to, to do at the moment. <laughs> hey, look, uh, Chris makes a valid point about the comparisons because I think that driving the sim in F3, competing with us guys on Missed Apex in our series and on the officials, from a sporting and adrenaline and competitiveness point of view, Matt, I'm getting the same endorphins rush from the sim as I am from this Apex karting event. Like, I'm buzzing. I can't sleep till two in the morning. So, not talking about skill transfer, but I definitely get that same soul food. Yeah, well, so, just to address what Chris said and uh, rarely agree with you, yeah, it's 100%. The thing about iRacing and about the sim and the way it works in particular is you very much recreate accurately the mental game of racing. The pressure, I'm in front, two laps to go, I've got someone half a second off me. You don't, you, you can't recreate that doing hot laps on your own. You need the actual competition. You've got beeping in your background, which in Brooklyn yeah, means that, that it's Hello, a time morning. of day. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but here's an interesting observation. The, one of the first times I ever did VR sim racing uh, was actually at a place that also had uh, a motion simulator. They had a two degree and a three degree mm. motion simulator. And what was universal about everybody who used it is the people who were on the three degree set slower lap times than they did on the two degree. This is and degrees so, of motion, isn't it? Degrees of, of freedom. Yeah. Uh, of degrees that the car moves in because on the three degree one, you could really feel the tail starting to go less so on the two degree one. And so what I wanted to say about Chris saying, oh, I think it'd be quicker in a GT4, GT3 car. I disagree because the physical inputs you get in an actual race car. And you, I know you've been in Pip's car as I have doing yeah, the track yeah. day at Silverstone. And I know Brad's taking you around the Norge life as well. The physical inputs you get when you're in a racing car and a racing driver is driving it around a track will immensely slow you down. Until you get used to it. So when you feel the tail go in your GT3 in real life, Chris, you'll slow down. Whereas in iRacing, yeah. you'll ride that out. Well, that's a good point. But, and, and that is very true because, you know, obviously when, when we're racing, the only feedback from the car we're getting is through the steering wheel. And um, I don't know about you guys, but I have a very basic Logitech G29, which doesn't offer all that much in the way of detailed force feedback. So it's a little bit wallowy. But then, of course, in a real car, you're getting it through the seat and through maybe the, the pedals as well. I right. Think we've got to chip in to get him better gear to make him slower. I think that's <laughs> what I'm hearing. That's what I'm Here hearing. We go. Well, I, I do think I'd, I'd, well, I'd love to give it a go. I mean, obviously, I would treat it very differently. But I think I would handle it better than a go-kart, for example. Yeah, well, I, I think even you talked about that because we've both done a track day at Silverstone, right, Spanners? Yeah, 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 yeah. And you talked about, like, just not wanting to crash the person who's lent you their car. <laughs> no, right. It does tend to make you a bit slower. So uh, someone lent me their Porsche for a Palmer Sport day and the the driver was literally sat next to me and i really didn't want to abuse their car plus everything wasn't specced out for racing it was essentially a road car so you could feel the brake fluid boiling underneath your foot when you got to a, a certain you know certain way around the track you couldn't hammer it uh, when we did the race specced peugeots around silverstone that was a little bit different and although it was sopping wet which kind of ruined it a little bit uh, i was i was surprised how quickly I adapted from, oh my God, I'm driving around Silverstone in a race car in the wet to, okay, now let's just get these lines right. Let's try and hit that apex. Let's see how little I can lift. 
the brain adjusted to it pretty quickly, Chris. Uh, and I don't know, to me, it felt comparable to doing the MX-5 in iRacing. It, it just felt very similar. I do think that all of us, if we were rich, would make good bronze GT drivers <laughs> and that we would be sought after for a lot of pro-am I think we'd be brilliant as well, yeah. Hang you on a minute, we're, you're assuming Dory might be fantastically wealthy. What? Are you? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. So you're well, not... I have made $30 off YouTube this month, but no, not yet. Well, that's, <laughs> that's real money. You're millions, a, well, you're a professional then. Was, yeah, uh, that's YouTube money. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, uh, why, why would we be good? Because what you think that our sim racing might put us uh, in a category where there's limited expectations but we would be able to just get a job done. Well, look at it this way. Most, okay, I don't want to say most, a lot of bronze drivers don't start racing until their 40s, 50s, some of them, because they're, you know, you don't get rich in your 20s most of the time. And so they they make their fortunes and then they decide, I want to go racing. <laughs> and so then they get, you know, a, a good driver or a good coach to come and tell them how you go about doing that. And then within a few years, they can be racing at Le Mans. So it, it, I don't think it's such a huge <laughs> leap to say we're pretty good at sim racing. And if we were to apply this in real life and we had a ton of money behind us, mm. we would be we would be quite good at well, it. Well, first off, you and Dory are pretty good at sim racing. Me and Matt are just also here. Uh, but Dory, what were you going to say, mate? Well, I'm thinking that uh, sim racing and using simulators to practice for a real race is becoming more and more of a thing. Sure. Especially with young racing, professional racing drivers. They actually use that a lot to, uh, you know, get get to grip with the track and understand a little bit more about the car and get used to different track conditions. So uh, it, it does give you an advantage to have a lot of experience in the sim, but it's only, you know, it's not even half the story. It's It's very little. Yeah. Quickly, Chris, Brad Philpot has yeah. been on here saying he's never felt more prepared for some real-life races after practicing on iRacing. Well, so it, well, so it didn't work for him? No, no, he's he, saying it absolutely he, worked. Oh, it, it, it completely well, put him in the zone. So Michael Fassbender, the very famous actor who is now trying to race at Le Mans, so case in point, both of these examples, yeah. he did the Carrera Cup Le Mans race last year. And he was using iRacing to practice mm. for for the event. And he did not too bad. So, and if, if Brad's using it as well, it's got to be some sort of yeah. decent, just to kind of eliminate those first things of like, oh, what lines am I taking? What curbs can I maybe use? That kind of thing. But it comes down to real world experience. Brad's driven on these tracks before. So using iRacing to prepare is an entirely different thing than someone who's never driven that sure. car before yeah. on that track. I'm just going to keep on okay, coming back so to that. So you're going to take away thing. our little, me and Chris's little fantasy that we, look, all the sim racers have it. We all now, after doing a bit of iRacing, we all secretly believe that we would definitely be good uh, at real racing. But fortunately, Chris, uh, your scenario where we all are very rich. Uh, it's not a problem we're going to have to face, of course, because Matt is a uh, an independent freelance musician and I, I'm a freelance presenter and podcaster. So the chances of that being a situation we have to face are, are minimal. You never know, man. This could be like the next <laughs> Top Gear. It could be. It could be. Guys, uh, that's been an hour. Uh, that's fantastic. Uh, love your company for iRacing quickly becoming one of my f- uh, favorite podcast recording sessions. Uh, follow Chris at Chris on Racing. It used to be Chris underscore underscore 
journo underscore F1. But because underscores are the devil and we peer pressured him into it, he changed it. So it's now at Chris on racing. And, and because I, I stopped being a journalist and went into PR. Nope. It was the, one of those things. It was the peer pressure. I'm like an uncle to you. You value my opinion very much. When it comes to audio, yeah. Psh, Matt Trumpets. Nothing else. Matt Trumpets More at respect. MattPT55 has a Twitter handle that relates to a cycling hobby he had 30 years ago. Uh, that's correct. He used to run 55 tooth chain rings in the odd time trial, and nobody else did. And so there you if go. If no one else did it, it was probably the wrong thing. That's why uh, no I one was, else did I it. I was good at the time trial. That was that was my jam of all all the types of racing. That and the velodrome. Follow Matt at MattPT55 on Twitter, or you can email him, Matt at MissedApex.net. You can email me. I believe that is correct. You can email me, Spanners at MissedApex.net, and I'm at SpannersReady on Twitter. But the most important one, our expert for today, Dory, where can we find all your stuff? Just look up an F3 track guide on YouTube. You'll find me. Well, Stuffies comes up first. So how far do you want me to scroll? <laughs> oh, that was cheap. That, that was cheap. Cold. I'm sorry. That was low, low. Cold. I, I'm, get, I'm sorry. I'm getting more views now. Thanks for your time, by the way. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. No, what we'll do is we'll put a link uh, below. So if you look in your podcast Brilliant. notes on your phone, you can get a link to Dory's YouTube channel. And it is definitely, definitely worth checking out. I genuinely love it. Uh, guys, this has been Missed Apex Podcast. No, it hasn't. It's been Missed Apex iRacing Podcast. Till we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. Let's get faster at iRacing so I can beat Chris one day. Uh, is it because I grew up with uh, computer games? Tell you what, Chris Stevens, Mario Kart, you, me, right now. None of this Wii stuff with the hand glider, none of that modern rubbish. I'm talking Super Nintendo entertainment system where you don't even need to break. It's all about focus Ooh, and red shells. Oh, there I will and smash you. And, and, and you won't even be able to see the TV because you'll be like, oh, why isn't it on the widescreen TV? No, I'm going to get like a 17-inch CRT because that's the only way the resolution makes any sense and it's split screen so you have to sit right close to it and this literal radiation burning your eyes let's see how you do then he'll beat you i will smash you like a smash bro we had a, oh, a wee mario kart hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.